2: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu. We've got Next in Sports, which is a Bloomberg Originals program that really takes what's happening in sports and looks at what's around the corner. Oftentimes, it's innovations on existing sports and pastimes. And what we aim to do is take a look at where things are headed. And Jason Kelly and Vanessa Perdomo were fixated on women's soccer, and really they explore why. The NWSL is having a moment right now. Vanessa, I really liked what you said, which is that women's soccer has its best and maybe last chance to fulfill its potential right now. Why is it having such a big moment right now?
3: I think that, you know, we can look at all of what has happened with the u s. women's national team finally getting equal pay, the fight that they had for so long. But when you when you think about how far they've come, how popular they always have been, 1999 World Cup, we still talk about it. It's been 24 years, mm-hmm. and that's still one of the most well-known, like winning, like championships in the history of the U- of the U.S. I feel like. So I think that right now the women are back. They're trying to win their third title in a row. But it's actually really interesting. It's gonna be the most competitive World Cup of all time. Other countries are finally catching up. They're right on that level. it's gonna be really intense. But right now you have the Women's World Cup, and then you have the NWSL growing. Faster than any other league in the north in North America
2: right now, the NWSL National Women's Soccer League. This is what's what I didn't realize until I saw the video is that the NWSL marks the third effort to build a successful professional women's soccer league. There are two previous versions that, um, for different reasons, kind of collapsed, and in fact. And WSL itself almost didn't get past the latest scandals, which were in 2021. Talk us through what happened there and how that's that remains something that people are really mindful of as they continue building out the league now.
4: Yeah, I mean, this was a fascinating one, I think, because it it will help set a really important tone for what happens next, I think, in women's sports full stop. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about athletes unlimited in an earlier episode. You know, we've talked a lot about the WNBA, you know, women's soccer is the, probably the preeminent women's sport in the country in, in part because of the success of the national team. But then when you go all the way down to it's the, you know, most popular participant sport Mm -hmm. for young girls and, and young women. And at least from my perspective and, and VP will, I'm sure correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I mean, Part of this has just been a lack of commitment and a lack of investment. And, you know, essentially both of those previous efforts failed. Each of them failed after three years. Well, three years, editorializing a little bit, is a ridiculous amount of time to just be like, yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah. I mean, especially when you go back to the history of the NBA, you go back to the history of the NFL, you go back to the history of Major League Baseball. Like these were leagues that took decades mm-hmm. to get going. Mm-hmm. And you had investors and owners who were willing to stick with it the hope is and and we can talk about a lot of those reasons the hope is that this time will be different because there are real people putting real money behind it and and making a true sort of business case and investment case for it um but i mean what it's really I think the reason it's failed before is it's been a little bit of an afterthought for, yeah. for the people who were about it. I don't know what you think.
3: It's It's been given up on, like yeah. you said, Jason. And so for the first two, the first one was built right after the 1990 World Cup. They were like, Mia Hamm, Brandy Chastain, let's get them in front of people. They just played in front of 90,000 people right. at the Rose Bowl, so let's get them in front of people. And they actually did give them a decent amount of money. It started with $40 million, the WUSA it was called. And they tried, but what they did didn't I? I don't know exactly what happened, but they burned through the money
1: mm-hmm.
3: instantaneously. It, you know, I think they just tried to emulate what was already happening on in men's sports, but you can't do that in the beginning. Yeah. So they burned through all the money, and they said, "We're not going to give you any more." So they folded after three years, and then they tried again, and they, this time they were like, "Okay, we're not going to burn through the money. We're just not going to give you any." So they no. didn't give them any money, and then terrible they facilities, <laughs> no, and nowhere to no play. Yeah. It, it was not. It was not good. tenable. Yeah, the WPS was. It was not somewhere that I think a lot. Of, it, it was basically like still playing semi-pro. Right. You know, okay.
4: And and meanwhile, you have. I mean, and I, what's so fascinating to me is, meanwhile, you have literally the best team in the world. You know, you yeah. have, and and so, it, one of the fascinating things to me about this, and I think VP as well, is like the the national team and the club team it, it's like reversed from almost any other sport mm-hmm. you know so if you think about the dream team well like the dream team national team is the the bubbled up
2: the best you know, of the best
4: the, the best the of the post. best in the domestic league yeah this is where we had the best of the best we have the best of this. we'll see how this world, current world cup goes because as vp said it's very competitive but there's no place for them to there has been no sustainable
3: mm-hmm. place
4: for them to play, and now it seems like there is.
3: Yeah, and so when the, the other league folded it was from 2009 to 2012, that was the WPS, and it folded right as the women, they were finalists in the World Cup, and then they won the Olympics. So it was on this time, it was like, we can't let it fail again mm-hmm. without creating because the popularity had gone so, so far back up. So the NWSL started in 2013, and they built it in a way that was... It was built for sustainability. Mm -hmm. It wasn't built for profit. It Mm -hmm. wasn't built for anything else other than we need this to survive. How do we get it to survive? And then that's where you go back to all the scandal that came out recently. Basically happened because this league was built to sustain itself. It wasn't built for the players. It wasn't built... With player safety in mind, it wasn't built in the way that they had all of these checks and balances.
2: So anytime something bad happened, they're like, we got we we just got to pull through this. We got to push exactly. through this regardless. Bulldoze over it because we need to survive. We're not going to be like the other two leagues that folded.
4: And it was. I mean, you alluded to this earlier, Scar. I mean, there was a moment. I mean, VP and I were talking about this this morning that, you know, when this scandal came out and, you know, we don't need to go into the the whole history and a lot of people listening to this will, will be familiar with it. But I mean, it is a horrific scandal that involves sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and sexual coercion and emotional abuse, um, by coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and five of the 10 head coaches who were in the league at the time ended up either being fired or resigning. Um, so half the coaches, so this is the state that it was in. And, What I think is so remarkable is that, you know, there's a new commissioner, a woman named Jessica Berman, who came um, through the NHL, Mm -hmm. uh, actually, and had been the deputy commissioner of the National Lacrosse League. She came in and essentially just kind of level set everything. Um, I've actually spent a lot of time with her. She's going to be featured in an upcoming episode of our, our another series, Power Players. And it's a remarkable story of both like resilience and turnaround. But also, I think... This, like maybe, the best evidence we had that this may be an unstoppable force because even with like one of the most massive scandals, this is a scandal that should have taken it down. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a, a number of the players, including Megan Rapinoe, mm-hmm. Megan Rapinoe very famously tweeted, "Let it burn," like let right. basically like start over. Yeah. Um, and instead, they were able to to sort of sort of rebuild, and now they're somehow to the salvage point it. where, where it's actually expanding.
2: Right. And Jessica Berman, spearheaded expansion to 14 teams. Um, the most recent one is Bay Football Club, which Bay is based FC. in the, um, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area. What's different about Bay FC is that for the first time, it's being backed by institutional investors, uh, a, a private equity firm.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash business gold card.
1: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
2: Isn't there some concern that private equity investors may not be the most um, aligned when it comes to the good of the sport? Because they're always keeping an eye yeah. on the bottom line.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, this is the question right now. And as you say, you know, this is the first this is the first time that an institutional investor will be the majority owner of any sports team in the United States.
2: Any at all. Okay. At all.
4: Full stop. Um, and so Sixth Street is the firm. You know, I t- Alan Waxman is featured in the, this episode. He's the co-founder and, and CEO of Sixth Street. Um, he There are a number of arguments that, that he makes or a number of things that, that he says about that. First of all, unlike a lot of private equity firms, which are looking to sort of cash out within five, maybe 10 years, they have set this up. So it's a long-term investment, 25 years or more mm-hmm. um, potentially. And I think the other interesting thing, you know, he sort of turns it around and basically says, we're growth investors, we're, we are going to invest heavily in this. This isn't a leveraged buyout. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they put up the cash. And one of the things I find interesting is the franchise fee, which we can talk about the growth there, but they paid $53 million for the franchise fee, but overall they're investing $125 million and that's real money that's being invested. And I think it's notable that he's not the only, uh, you know, big time investor or someone with investment background, I mean, what's happened in Kansas City, which Vanessa went to see, I think it's another really interesting manifestation of that.
3: Yeah, I talked to the owners of the Kansas City Current and it's a husband and wife, Angie and Chris Long, and they are as well, private equity investments. You know, they I think it's twenty one billion dollars, their fund. Um, but they are still there every day, you know, for the Casey Current. And I think they look at it a different way in the way that they look at it as an investment into the city itself. They are mm. building the first ever stadium built for a women's soccer team. It holds about eleven thousand five hundred people. I think
4: a, a women's sports team.
3: Is it women's sports team? Yeah. yeah. Which is,
4: by the way, crazy. Crazy. I mean, that's insane that this is the first time that's happening. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. But to interrupt, but yeah. Yeah.
3: and it's going to be built right in downtown Kansas City, which they don't have any other stadiums downtown. You know, uh-huh. the Chiefs play far away, and so does the MLS team. So, I think that. When you're looking... They look at it in different ways. When they were starting this team and they wanted to to buy this because KC had a team before. They wanted to buy this team, bring it back here. They said when they were starting it, a lot of people called it a charity investment and Uh people would like say oh yeah we'll invest but it's oh it's a Like charity. a feel good thing. Yeah, they'll, they we'll give you some money the, from our foundation. From our philanthropy you yeah. know uh-huh. and so they said no way you know this is something that's going to make us money. It's going to make a lot of money. When you invest in women when you invest in them as a an entity as a business then you are actually going to make it you know so mm-hmm. the stadium they're building is about $120 million. They built an $18 million training facility so in their eyes it's when you professionalize something mm-hmm. is when you're actually going to make money on it. You can't just like have it at a baseline and think it's going to be perfectly fine. And you can't
2: throw a couple million and be like, okay, that we've done our good deed. Right. We've done our good deed, yeah. yeah.
4: And, and the interesting thing, you know, talking to Alan Waxman about it, who's a, you know, very serious investment, you know, 60 plus billion dollars in assets under management for Sixth Street. It was a, he, you know, had a big job at Goldman Sachs. Then Sixth Street was actually initially a partnership with TBG. So like this guy really understands um, investment. So, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, one is, so they went through, as you can appreciate, Scar, like the entire due diligence process. They also did all of this, you know, analysis that said, this is exactly the type of, opportunity we look for in a market Mm -hmm. where something is like dramatically and empirically undervalued like Mm -hmm. we can get in at this level and and do something you know and and make you know outsized profits i think the other really interesting thing that that is an answer to the private equity piece is the players who are involved as owners you know which are some of the people that that vp alluded to earlier were involved in the 99 team right
3: yeah, Ali Wagner and um, Leslie Osborne, Daniel Slayton and Bernie Chestain, the iconic Bernie Chestane, ripping her shirt off through the um, PK in 99. You know, I think that one of the things that Alan talks about is, you know, they're putting up the money. They believe in it, but they also have this foundation of these four founders mm-hmm. who are women's you know, they, they built this, right? You know, they're, they're leaders. They're women's soccer players. They built this so they know exactly how it should run. They know what they would have wanted when they were playing. So it's not just private equity, throwing money at something, hoping they're going to make money. It's like Jason said, all of the due diligence. And then you have the players say on it too. So, they're going to make a good team, a good product for the fans and for the players.
4: And and it's interesting, too. I hadn't really thought about this until we were talking about it. Like there are echoes uh, to a previous episode that, that we did a couple weeks ago with Athletes Unlimited where there is there is something, you know, and, and it sounds so ridiculous and obvious to say, it, but like there there actually is a really good business case for getting people involved who have played or actually played the game. And so the amount of former player ownership in the mm-hmm. NWSL, now part of it is the economics. It's, you know, it it's lower to get in, but we saw that with Angel City. You know, we're seeing it, we saw it with Carly Lloyd at, at Gotham, and clearly we're seeing it um, with Bay FC. In
2: a way, you know, it's with- a little bit like a leverage buyout then.
4: Yeah, I guess exactly. <laughs> get, getting the management, incenting the management yeah. to, to get involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, but having that that input and the you know kind of the emotional plus the financial commitment, yeah. I, I think is is a really interesting piece. Of it's this. like
2: how when PE gets former retail geniuses to yes. run the firm to be the operators of the right. firm that they buy. Yeah, yeah. see, <laughs> it bring, all comes full in circle. Bring the PE
4: playbook back in.
2: Um, I I really think what you said was interesting, Vanessa, about women's sports. Um, treating it as a business, as an investment, as opposed to a a, a charity or mm-hmm. a nonprofit? Because you could make the argument that that's kind of what doomed the previous two attempts at Double. women's soccer before, 100%. right? 100%. I
3: think that they thought, you know, we need this, we need to do it because of the the momentum that happened. Oh, well, shouldn't the players have somewhere to play, I guess, you know? And I think that when you talk to a lot of the players, from Julie Foudy, who is a 99er who played on the first Ever, mm-hmm. U.S. women's national team in 1990. And when you talk to Alex, I spoke to Alex Morgan about this. They everyone has the same sentiment of they basically, before the NWSL got to this point, it was you're lucky to have a job. Yeah, that's what they made them feel like, right?
1: Just you're, be grateful, just
3: be grateful to have a job. That's why all of these cases went unreported yeah. for so long. I mean, I mean, they were reported by. But nothing, People, happened. but nothing happened. You know? Do you really want to bring down the league that you yeah. play for? Don't? Yeah. Aren't you grateful to have a job? Aren't you grateful to? And that was the whole thing of fighting for equal pay for the U.S. Women's National Team. That in '99 they they weren't even paid. You right. know? So it, it's certain things. It's, that, we have
2: a job. We deserve a job, and we deserve pay exactly.
3: Right. And we deserve to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that Alex Morgan talked to me about the way that Jessica Berman came in was when she flipped everything around and she started talking to the players and started asking them what they needed to feel safe in this league Mm. was one of the things that was able to make people like her and Megan Rapino feel
2: comfortable to put their faces back on the top of the league. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And of course, a women's soccer team, the U.S. women's national soccer team, is the superstar. I mean, yes. they've done things that the men's team can only dream of. Yep. Oh, yeah,
4: yeah, please. totally. Well, <laughs> and and I think that it, that actually you know leads to sort of what what happens next, which is you know we're in the midst now of the of the women's World Cup. It's hyper competitive. The world has sort of caught, caught up in, in in a lot of ways, and so it's a big challenge and opportunity for the National Women's Soccer League to ensure that it remains the best domestic league that all the great players, because that has candidly, you know, to go to the men's side for just a second, major league soccer, with the exception of Lionel Messi, you know, coming and even he is sort of in the later stages of his career Mm -hmm. with with all due respect to all the great professional soccer players in the MLS, they're not the best in the world. Straight up. No one would argue that it's that this is where the best players are. And I think
3: one of the things was that we didn't have anyone on the men's side that played In England or played for a long time, you know, Mm -hmm. so having Christian Pulisic play over there was huge for the U.S. men's team, you know, but having everyone here for the women is
4: right. And so that changes it. And so it'll be interesting to see that's going to be a key differentiator and competitive advantage if they can hold on to it for the NWSL that the best players in the world continue to come here, because, by the way, the the women's EPL. Um, you know, Women's La Liga. You know, all those other um, overseas leagues are looking at what the NWSL is doing, and being like, "Oh, that's, that's
2: pretty yeah, good there's idea. something there." Yeah. So,
4: hey, listen, competition is, is probably a good thing here.
2: All right, guys, fantastic episode. and I've really enjoyed watching this series. I've learned so much. I, out of all the different episodes, really quickly, which is your fav- favorite sport that you covered?
3: Oh, well, it's hard for me because I was a women's soccer player, so I, I feel like I have to say the NWSL. That was closest to your heart. Yeah, it's definitely closest to my heart, and I got to meet Alex Warren, so oh my God. Um, but I do think tag is probably world chase tag like yeah world chase tag was my favorite sport to learn about and watch because it was so cool
4: i have two very uh (laughs) first of all different from from vp which is why it works um my two favorite were kabaddi, just Uh because it was so fun and different and interesting to learn about that (laughs) and to go the total opposite direction cornhole I love (laughs) Cornell. I had so much fun. It was like one of the things when we first came up with the idea of this. I thought, you know, this is... This This is is not real. This is not real, and yet it is, and so that one was really fun. And we had a... I mean, listen, we had so much fun, at least I did. I think people did, too. Yeah, so much fun. It was so much fun to put the series together, Mm -hmm. so looking forward to next season.
2: All right, Jason Kelly and Vanessa Perdomo, hosts of Next in Sports, which, of course, airs Wednesdays on Bloomberg Television at 10 p.m. Eastern. You can also check it out on YouTube and Bloomberg.com the following day and catch up on previous episodes.